in the middle of a series that we started two weeks ago called My Story. My Story. We, we've, we've been in a series before that where we talked about a lot of Jesus' stories. But two weeks ago we said we got to figure out what this means for us, like personally, like my story. How does this impact me? What's my story? And we said that everybody has a story. And while all of our stories are different, we've had different sadnesses and different happinesses. We've had different adventures and moments of pause. We've had different successes and failures. At the, at the core of it, if you boil it all down, there is commonality to all of our stories. And we said that, there, that the way that we'll get at all of our stories is by looking at the story of a guy in the Bible named David. And if you're familiar with David, fantastic. Some of these stories you might already know. And if you've never heard of David, fantastic. We're going to tell those stories for the first time. But David's story, in a way, really is the core of all of our stories. So we'll look at David's stories, figure out what our stories are from that. Two weeks, we spent two weeks, we did our entire story. We said we got our entire story down. Week one, we talked about the fact that we were hand-picked by God. That's a cool thing. Like, we could stop right there again, pray, be done. Some of you guys are like, it's hot, let's do it, pray, be done. But we were hand-picked by God. That's an amazing thing. And we saw how David was hand-picked by God out of all the brothers, out of all the guys in Israel. God hand-picked David to be this new king. Even when David was just a kid, even, even when he wasn't the oldest brother, or the best-looking brother, or the biggest brother, or the smartest brother maybe, but God handpicked David to be king. We said God handpicked us. And week two, we said the rest of the story is simply this, that God's handpicked us for a purpose. Like you're not an accident, you're not a mistake, like you weren't picked by God just to take up space. <laughs> like God has a purpose for us. So God handpicked us for a purpose. That's our entire story, and that's David's entire story. So starting today and for the next three weeks, we want to just finish that by, by answering this question, how do we live that story out? So we said it was important to understand our story because Jesus makes this audacious claim in John 10. He says, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. I give it to the full. Like Jesus came to give us these full adventurous lives. And I remember being a young teen as in church looking around at other Christian men going, man, if that's a full life, eh, I don't really want that. They're just boring. <laughs> and, and I'm now not a teenager, and sometimes I look around at Christ followers and I say, man, that's just, that doesn't seem like this adventurous life that Jesus promised. And I'm absolutely convinced that if we don't know our story, and if we don't 100% buy our story that we were handpicked by God for a purpose, that we, are, we won't be capable then of living out that adventurous life that Jesus has promised us. And so these next three weeks, we want to talk about just a couple of key principles on how to live out this adventure, this full and abundant life that Jesus promised us. Cool? Is that good? Does that sound good? We want to jump into a story today. If you're familiar with David, it's an event in his life. If you're familiar with him at all, this is probably the story you know. You probably saw this in a veggie tale or on a flannel graph. If you're old enough to remember that. You might have read your kid this story. You might have had the play school play set of this little story, this little event in David's life when, uh, when your kids were young or maybe when you were young. And, and so this morning, just to get it back in our heads, and if you've never heard of this story before, fantastic. We're going to have some fun with this this morning. Just to get it back in your heads. Let me show you a version by a group. They call themselves uh, Low-Depth Bible Study. There were none who could defeat the giant Goliath. Goliath taunted the Israelites, saying, I will tear off your heads and feed you to the piranhas. Everyone was afraid but David, who said, 
I'll fight Goliath. They handed him the best weapons of the day, but David said he'd fight with sticks and stones. So David went down to meet Goliath for a fight to the death. When Goliath was dead, the Israelites rejoiced. They carried David off on their shoulders and made him president. What does the Bible teach us here? Look both ways before you cross the street. We're going to start this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're using the North Point app, uh, all the verses will be there. I, uh, you can just pull that up. There's also some fill-ins if you're into taking notes on the North Point app. If you're not using that, that's fine. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to use the NIV version of the Bible this morning because it just reads a little more like a story. So whatever though, whatever version you have, use an electronic device, using a Bible in the pew back. Uh, I'd love it if you could see this as well. The verses will come up on the screen behind me as well because we just want you to see this as we walk through this story. It's a little bit of a long story, but I think there's so much in here. It's worth the effort just to walk through the entire story, and I will do my best to keep it as moving as possible. Fair enough? 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is what it says. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephraim's Damon between Soko and Ezekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. You get the setup, right? We've got these two armies coming out to do some battle. It says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And there's some disagreement on what a cubit was exactly back in the day, but he's somewhere between seven and nine feet tall. Let's call him eight feet tall. Dude's tall, right? Big tall guy, right? Says he has a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. So this isn't a string bean of a guy. This is a tall guy, but this guy is, is built as well. I mean, he's a man, man, a soldier guy. His armor weighs 125 pounds. He's a big, big dude. It says, on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, which apparently is huge, and, his iron, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. You got this picture in your head? This is a soldier, like a really, really big, intimidating soldier, right? It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's not hard to believe, right? This big, huge, gigantic mammoth of a guy with all this body armor on is coming out every day and screaming at you, send out one of your guys. We'll just do battle. One-on-one battle may not have been like the most common thing back in the day, but it was certainly known and it was sometimes the way they solved stuff. And so, and so uh, Goliath says simply, send out one of your guys and we'll battle. And if you win, we'll be your subjects. And if I win, you be our subjects. Now, now Goliath has hedged his bet a little bit because he's kind of gigantic, right? I mean, he's wielding some pretty intimidating weapons. Verse 16, 
Uh, I, 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 I lied, sorry. Verse 12. <laughs> I didn't really lie. I just didn't know where I was. Um, verse 12. It says, Now David was the son of an Ephraim named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So, so we get a little bit of a reminder of who David is. This is before David really is dealing with Saul and, and spear throwing. If you were here last week, this is kind of in the episode where David is still running back and forth between uh, being a shepherd for the family business, but also being this uh, musician therapist for Saul. Saul had these, these, this illness, this demon, this thing that was going on with him. And, he, and one of the bright ideas was to bring someone who played music. Every time he felt bad, it'd make him feel better. And they found David to bring him in. So he comes in, he plays his lyre, and he feels better. We find out what happened to the older brothers after David's anointing as king. They, they follow Saul off to war. They're in battle. David's going back and forth. We get to verse 16. So for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. For 40 days, Israelites have been putting up with this garbage. Every day, Goliath comes out in the morning and in the evening and says simply, who are you? Am I not a Philistine enough for you? Are you guys not brave enough? Are you not tough enough? Won't you just send someone down? We'll do a little battle. Whoever wins, wins. Every day. And every day the Israelites line up and listen to this taunt. And I got to imagine that every day that, that giant gets a little bigger in their eyes. That that, that problem seems a little more over, uh, unable to overcome. That it gets a little bit more scary. Every day their imaginations are running wild. I got to picture one of the guys on the line as he hears on day 39 Goliath issue this, this challenge again. He's thinking, man, I hope it's not me. I hope they don't draw straws and I get the short straw. This is terrifying. You ever, you ever been in a situation where you've, you've kind of let a problem go on for so long that it just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? Are you, are you with me if you had that? It's interesting. 40 days they're putting up with this junk. Their imaginations are running wild with terror. Verse 17 it says, now Jesse, that's David's dad, says to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten le- uh, loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So, so dad just wants a little bit of assurance that the boys are okay. He sends a snack with David for the guys. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to take battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw that man, they fled from him in great fear. Now their imaginations have them to a point that whenever Goliath comes out, they start running around like five-year-olds playing soccer. I I don't know what this looked like, right? Can you picture it, though? Like Goliath just comes out from his tent, this big strapping man, and all these Israelite guys start hiding behind their buddies, zipping back into their tent, ducking under a cactus. I don't know if there's cactus or not. I don't even know if you can go under them. But they're like scurrying around. Their imaginations are so focused on Goliath. They're so afraid of terror. They're so afraid of what this guy's going to do. It's gone on so long that they're just absolutely 
terrified. Verse 25. It says, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family line from taxes in Israel. Apparently that was a big thing. It says, David asked those standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So they repeated to him what they had been saying and what they had been told, and this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Dun, 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 right? David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. What a strange thing to say. David shows up on the line with some cheese for the boys and he hears what's going on and, and, and the giant comes out and issues the challenge on day 40 and, and the guys are running around uh, jumping into tents and stuff and David's standing there going, who's that guy? I, I, go ta- I go do this if you want. I can go take care of this. Like what's the difference between David and the rest of the army of Saul? What's the difference between David and Saul? What's, what's different in this kid that, that doesn't have him like terrified of what he sees across the valley. And I'll just submit this morning that potentially what was David was where his imagination was. Like like the Israel army, uh, Saul, had been just terrified. Their imaginations were captured by this giant. But David doesn't seem to take a big account of the giant. David seems to have his imagination focused somewhere else. So he goes to Saul, and in verse 33 it says this, Saul replied, You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're little more than a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came, carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I just seized it by its hair, (laughs) struck it, and killed it. No big deal. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. You see where David's imagination is? See where David's focus is? Like David's focus is on what God has done and what God could do. And the rest of Israel, like their focus is on that giant across the valley. And they're thinking, man, there's no shot against him. And David shows up and simply says, oh, that's, yeah, not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. Because, because, because God's big. Like, God's big, and, and God's done these things in my life. In, in verse 37, he goes on, he says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the barrel rescued me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David's imagination is captured by a different focus. He's focused on God. His imagination is there, all the things that God has done and could do. Meanwhile, Saul and the army, their focus is on this Goliath. Verse 18, it says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to these. I can't go out in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off 
And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So, so Saul puts on this armor on David, you know, trying to help or whatever. And if you remember, uh, one thing we know about Saul is that he was tall, dark and handsome, right? And so can you can imagine tall Saul puts his own armor on, on David that's described not mere, more than a boy. And, and maybe it's like when you were like 10 years old and tried on your dad's suit or something and like came down past your knees and stuff and like the sword maybe is long enough for like a six foot tall guy or whatever. It's just like dragging on the ground. And so David's like, this is not going to work. Like, I can't, I can't go out and fight in this. And so David does David. Like, he does what he knows. He, he grabs his shepherd's staff, and he, and he grabs his sling, and he gets some rocks, and he heads out. If you've heard this story before, if you saw it on a cartoon or something, you, you probably saw David grab, like, this cute little slingshot from Walmart, like that little stick with the little rubber band on it. But, but that's not the weapon here. Like I, let's get that out of our head. That's a cute little picture, and it's fun to you know, talk with kids, and then your son goes out and tries to slay you with a whatever, and it's cool. But, but let's, let's get that picture out of our heads because the sling in the hand of a skilled warrior, in the hand of a skilled shepherd, in the hand of a skilled slinger was actually a pretty formidable weapon. Matter of fact, this weapon, uh, by guys who knew what they were doing, you could, you could sling a stone about 400 yards and hit a target, at about 60 miles an hour. That's, that's kind of a beefy thing. That, that's not like we're shooting like paper clips at someone. I mean, it's pretty dangerous. And, and matter of fact, some armies back in that day would have slingers, kind of like we'd have archers or whatever. Like they'd have slingers as part of their thing. So David's not walking out like with a marshmallow hoping something happens. God strikes him, uh, Goliath, with lightning or something. David's walking out with a weapon that he, he understands and he understands it well. And so he heads out, verse 41. It says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. So he's advancing at David. And he looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. I don't, there's something there. I don't really know what to do with that, but there's something in those, those words. And he says, and he says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. It's PG-13 rating. It's, it's going to get PG-13 here in a minute, so just there you go. That's your fair warning. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. There's the PG-13. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David's imagination isn't focused on Goliath or the weaponry. David's imagination is focused on who God is and what God can do, right? Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Stone sunk into the forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him and he took hold of the Philistine's sword, watch out, and drew it from the sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head with the sword. Sometimes we get this picture of David, like this little boy, you know, playing a harp and wearing a dress and (laughs) just whatever and... This is not a very harp and dress type of episode. This is pretty gruesome, 
and a fairly brutal thing. David, David was a warrior in a lot of ways. It says, when the, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. I don't know what happened to the whole deal about if you beat me, then you will be your subjects, but that apparently ended. It says, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Shurim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. So Israel shows up, so that's good. They finally get it together and do something, right? It says, David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. That's gruesome. That's gruesome. Battles with giants are often gruesome. And it says he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. The better translation for weapon there is armor. David took Goliath's armor, 125 pounds of it, and put it in his tent. Because I think David was probably a guy a little like me and has a tendency to forget. We want to focus on what God has done, what God can do, but we forget. So David took that armor and he put it in his tent. And every time David tore down the tent and moved to a new place, he drug that armor along with him, repitched that tent, put that armor back up on the shelf, and every day when David woke up, he looked at it and he was just reminded about what God had done for him. As a reminder, we call them life symbols a few weeks ago. These things that sit in my office or on our dashboard or in our bedroom or, or on our wrists or in our wallets that remind us of who God is in our lives and what God can do. It says he put his weapons in his own tent. Verse 55. It says, as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. So we back up a little bit now. We're going to get the story from Saul's perspective. Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of his army, Abner, whose son is that young man? This is my favorite part. Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I have no idea. (laughs) This is is David. This is David, right? I mean, we know David. We kind of read this story maybe thinking of, oh, King David and David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. David, the guy that wrote a bunch of Psalms. Like, we have this huge picture of David in our heads as this David kind of guy. This is great because David at this point is just providing some musical relief for Saul on occasion. Saul's not taking a ton of notice of this kid yet. And Saul asks his commander, Who, who's, whose son is that kid? And maybe he's thinking in his head, who is that kid? And maybe he's thinking in his head, well, I'm going to have to inform the next kin, so I don't, you know, who, figure out who it is now. Anyway, you look at it, it's great because the commander says, I, I don't know. I don't know who that kid is. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. That's pretty gruesome. He says, whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. So there you go. That's the story. The story of David and Goliath. You've heard it before. Maybe you've missed some details. Interesting story. All kinds of stuff going on. What can we pull out of that to answer the question, How then do we live our story? David had a story picked by God for a purpose. We have a story picked by God for a purpose. How do we live that out? What do we pull out of this story to figure out how we live that out? Here's the one simple point that we want to capture this morning as you walk out of here in a few minutes. This is what I want, hopefully, thinking in our brains. How do we live this story out? Simply this. We've got to cultivate a God-sized imagination, not a Goliath-sized one. We've got to figure out ways to cultivate a God-sized imagination, not a Goliath-sized one. Man, Israel and Saul were looking at Goliath and his size and his weapons and who he was and his voice that carried across a valley and thought, man! And their imagination was captured by Goliath. 
And David shows up on the scene, and his imagination is already captured by God. And so Goliath really doesn't factor into his mind a ton. David doesn't spend a lot of time looking at Goliath, sizing him up, seeing if he could manage the problem or not. Pastor and theologian Chuck Swindoll puts it like this. He says, for David, Goliath was no big deal. Why? Because David had been killing lions and bears while nobody was around. He'd been facing reality long before he squared off against Goliath. That's why I have a problem with the kind of deeper life teaching that says you stand back and let God do everything for you. I'll be honest with you, I've never had God fix a flat tire for me or change a baby's diaper or confront some giants in my life. Neither did David. He rolled up his sleeves and he fought for those sheep. It was in such scenes of reality that David learned to king it. David's imagination was captured by who God is and what God could do, not what Goliath was threatening. And if we're honest, we have all kinds of giants in our lives, don't we? We have all kinds of Goliaths in our lives. We have illness, heartbreak, mental illness, wounds from others, financial crisis, past failures. The list could go on and on. Tons of Goliaths in our lives that could take and capture our imagination. Lots of things will take our focus, like Hillary or Bernie or Trump, ISIS, gender, race, sexual identity, equality. Tons of things become our focus. And we look at those things and we think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's huge. David says, my, my imagination's already captured by God who's can do and, and has done amazingly massive things. And in the story, if you noticed, there's actually other giants. There's actually two other Goliaths before we get to the Goliath. There's two other giants that I think are actually more dangerous than, 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 the, than the man that he took on, although we make so much out of the, the guy that David battled. There's two other Goliaths that I think are much more terrifying. Goliath number one that David has to deal with is this right here. It's Eliab the brother. Eliab the brother, this is the giant of ridicule and insult, especially by one of your own. This is the words that Eliab uses. When David shows up with a nice gift, just some snacks and just to check on how they're doing, dad sent him, he uses this phrase. He says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? You know those little sheepies that you deal with? You know those little baby lambs that dad lets you care for? You know those little tiny docile creatures that don't do anything but just eat and poop? Yeah, what about those four little sheep you dealt? Where'd you leave those at, David? Ridicule. Ridicule. And, and, and then Eliab goes on and he says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down just to have a good show, didn't you? Like, none of that is true of David. And yet Eliab accuses him, he insults him, he belittles him, he puts him down. And David had options at this point. If you're a younger brother here, or a younger sister, and your older brother, older sister, like threw some insults at you like that, what's the most natural reaction? I think it's to punch him in the throat, right? To take a swing at him. Youngers, are you with me? I'm an only child. I'm, this, is what I, this is what I read, all right? Uh, uh, this idea of, or if, if you're not going to hit him because you're scared of your big brother, then like you're going to insult him back, right? They call him a poopy head and run or something, right? Like, like your older is throwing some insults and ridicule at you and you're going to lay him out with something that he didn't know that you knew that he did two weeks ago. You're pulling that out of your pocket and throwing it right then, right? And so David could have done that. He had that option. Live is insulting and ridiculing him. And what does David do? He just looks at him. He's like, 
just asking a question, dude. And he just goes on and continues asking other people, hey, what, what exactly what's going on? And, and focusing on God and listening to this giant says, hey, what's happening here? What is going on? Like David just doesn't let him phase him. Goliath, number one, Eliab, the brother, the giant of ridicule and insult. Here's the second giant. Here's the second Goliath before we get to the Goliath. It's this right here. It's, it's, it's Goliath, number two, is Saul the king. Saul the king. This is, this is the giant of you're not enough. You're just not enough. This is what Saul says when, when David says, this isn't a problem, I can, I can go take care of this. Saul says, you are not able to go out against the Philistine. You're not able to do that. You can't do that. You're not able. You ever heard that? I've heard that. You're not able, you're not good enough or smart enough or interesting enough or funny enough or whatever. You're not able Saul says, you're little more than a boy. He's been a soldier since he was young. You're little more than a boy. Saul the king, tall, dark, and handsome, looks at David, a young man, and says, you're not man enough to deal with this. And for a guy, that's like the ultimate insult, right? To be told you're not man enough. To be told that you don't measure up. You don't make the mark. You're not enough to deal with this. And David hears this from Saul, and he has some options at the point. He could say, you know what, he's right. He's right. I, who, am, who am I? I'm just a shepherd. What, what, what am I going to do? Okay, I'll, I'll just eat the cheese and go home. <laughs> like David could have just listened to that. And then Saul goes on, which is interesting. See, Saul goes on to dress David in Saul's own uh, tunic and armor and put a sword on David. And, and I know sometimes we read that and we think, oh, Saul's just trying to help. He doesn't want to get him killed. And I've got to be honest, I don't think that anymore. I think Saul picks up on the fact that David's not listening to his words, and Saul thinks, I'll show him. I'm six feet tall, that kid's four and a half feet tall, I'm going to put my robe on him. He'll see pretty quick that he doesn't measure up. He doesn't measure up to a man like me. And so he puts his clothes on him, and David is standing in those clothes going, I, I, this isn't me, like, I can't do this. And so David has a choice. And I guess he has three choices. He could, he could somehow uh, uh, fire back at Saul. He, he could somehow go out in Saul's clothes or whatever, or he could just walk away. Here's what uh, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson says about it. He says, to have, to have gone out to meet Goliath wearing Saul's armor would have been disaster. Borrowed armor always is. David needed what was authentic to him. What strikes me so forcibly about the picture is that David was both modest enough and bold enough to reject the suggestion that he do his work inauthentically by using Saul's armor. And he was both modest enough and bold enough to use that which had been trained as his early years of shepherd, his sling and his stone, and he killed the giant. See, see David had lots of options there, but what does he do? He says, this isn't me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to, David's going to do David. I'm going to do it like, like I know I can. I'm going to be who God created me to be. My imagination is captured by this God who can do amazing things. And so in the midst of the giant of a lie of the brother who's ridiculing and insulting, David just turns his back. And in the midst of this other giant of, of put down and you're not enough and shaming, he says, you know what? I don't have to listen to that. And David does David. He goes out and does what he feels like God's called him to do in that moment. And we get this great story from it. All three of these giants have one thing in common. There's a common strategy. And it's this word intimidation. And frankly, the giants in your life and the giants in my life, the Goliaths in our lives that, that, that interact in throughout our story, I think always have the same reality, intimidation. 
You're not enough. You're not good enough, smart enough, holy enough, spiritual enough. You don't know the Bible well enough. You've had too many failures. You're not this. You're not that. You are this. You are that. It's all about intimidation. This is what Swindoll says about intimidation. He says, intimidation, that's our major battle when we face giants. When they intimidate us, we get tongue-tied. Our thoughts get confused. We forget how to pray. We focus on the odds against us. We forget whom we represent, and we stand there with our knees knocking. I wonder what God must think when all the while he has promised us, my power is available. There's no one on this earth greater. You trust me. But David's eyes weren't on the giant. Intimidation played no part in his life. What a man. His eyes were fixed on God. With invincible confidence in his God, David responded that all this assembly may know the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. There it is. That's the secret of David's life. The battle is the Lord's. Giants of intimidation, of ridicule, or put down, or not enough, or the physical giant, none of that intimidated David. And you think, that's great, Chris, that's fantastic, that's that Old Testament story, it's way back in the day when they wore robes and sandals, and that's great for them, but that's not the same today, and I want to say it's so much better today, and so much the same, and even more so today. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, the Bible writer says it like this, for today, not for a thousand years ago, for today, it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Catch this next part. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. To him who is able to do more than you can imagine. The stuff you're praying for. The things you're hoping for. The stuff that you want God to do for you. Like, you're thinking so small, it's the biggest thing you could imagine, and God can do way more than that. Are you with me? There's any, I'm excited about this. This is so amazing that we serve a God who is able to accomplish more than I could ever make up in my head. And if we're going to live this out in our lives, this reality that I was picked for a purpose, I've got to cultivate this God-sized imagination and not a Goliath-sized imagination. I can't be captured by the focus of anything else other than what God has done and what God can do. Ephesians chapter 1 says we're handpicked by God. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about the fact that we were picked for a purpose. And Ephesians 3 drives us into this reality that we have a God who can do more than we could ever imagine. What's the point today? How do we, how do we begin to live out my story? Here it is. You've got to develop a relationship with Jesus, spend time with God, get to know Christ in ways that cultivate a God-sized imagination, not a Goliath-sized one. An imagination that's captured by what God has done and what God could do, not an imagination captured by all the other things that want to take our focus. Amen?